Good morning. It is a joyful pleasure to be back here again. I always look forward to it. It's like, you know, when I was in school in Abilene or then later Fort Worth, I would so much look forward to going home to the Panhandle, to my loving home. I'd get back and pressure's off and good food, loving atmosphere, security, peace. And so, feels like I'm home this morning. When you're with loving family, then that's what you feel. So thank you for allowing me to be here today to share God's Word. I want to speak to Redeemer this morning specifically about your Redeemer. How's that? But we're going to focus on something that is so specifically wonderful. And our text is in 1 John chapter 1 and 2. So let's read from 1 John 1, 7 through chapter 2, verse 2. 1 John 7. I want to speak this morning on the subject... What about when a Christian sins? Any people here that still sin? 100% of us. Now, if you're not a believer yet, if you're not a Christian, everything I'm going to say has very real application to you. And it's the best news you could ever hear. But John is addressing believers here. So, what about when a Christian sins? I'm talking about when we blow it, lose our temper, lust, get angry. Name it. Fill in the blank. What do we do? What do we believe in the moment that we do sin? This is radically important. So let's read the text, 1 John 1, 7 through 2, verse 2. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, now remember the word confess means we agree with God about that. We agree with Him about it. That's confession. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have never sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. My little children, these things I'm writing unto you in order that you do not sin. And if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. And He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins 
of the whole world. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. And we look to you to speak and make it life-giving. Only you can. We ask for your spirit upon the word and upon our minds and our hearts, giving us today new eyes to see, new ears to hear, new hearts to freshly receive. Lord, speak to us now for the glory of Christ and for our good. We pray in His name. Amen. A Reformed Presbyterian from Scotland, Ian Hamilton, says, 1 John 2, 1 and 2 is a glorious summary of the biblical gospel. And I think he's right. Those two verses in chapter 2 summarize the gospel. They contain the full theology and truth and doctrine of the gospel. They are as pure and as perfect a statement of the gospel as could be stated in a few words. Our sin and Christ the Righteous One, who is our Advocate. These contain one of the briefest, richest, and purest statements anywhere about what God has done for us regarding our sin. What about when we sin? You as a Christian man. You as a young man who in your youth have come to trust Christ. You know Him. You love Him. You as a woman, as a young girl... You've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But what about when we sin? What do we do right then? What do we think? What do we believe in the moment? This is what I want us to see this this morning. Um, Because the New Testament teaches that Christians, because of the cross, are free from the penalty and power of sin. Is that a true statement? that we are free from the penalty and power of sin? It is true. Romans chapter 6. Christians are forgiven of all sin, past, present, and future, because all of our sin was future when the Lord Jesus died on the cross, right? We're forgiven of all sin. And John here says we are not to sin. Is he preaching sinless perfection? No, He's telling us that because we're forgiven and because we're free from the penalty and power of sin, He says here, I write these things to you that you would not sin. Christians aren't to sin. But as we know, Christians at times do sin. We all do. In private, sometimes in public. And our thoughts in our words, our motives, our actions, secretly, at times not secretly, we sin regularly at different times, don't we? Let's, let's face this about ourselves. I sin. I don't want to. And if you're a Christian, you don't want to. But you do. And if you're a Christian, it grieves you when you sin. 
Because that goes against your new nature. It goes against your new heart. You don't want to do what you used to do. You hate the sin now that you used to love. When you sin, your heart hurts. And you know there's present sin. And you know still, my Father loves me, but what do I do? What do I think? What do I feel when I sin? This is what John is addressing. Oh, I pray that we can just see it. Now you go back into chapter 1 where I began to read. John is telling um, his flock, these dear children of his, that God is light. In other words, He's pure holiness. And and sin from verse 7 through the end of chapter 1, sin is the topic in every verse. I'll summarize it. Verse 7, he says, Christ's blood cleanses us from all our sin. Verse 8, the denial of present sin is self-deception. If any of us say, you know, I I don't really sin hardly anymore. I'm not really sinning. We're self-deceived. If any of us say we have no present sin, we're deceiving ourselves. Verse 9, confession of present sin brings what? Cleansing. Present cleansing. Verse 10, the denial of ever being a sinner. I'm a good person. You know, I've always tried to be good. I'm honest. I pay my taxes. I'm good to my neighbor. I don't, I don't remember when I've ever sinned. Have you ever met anyone that actually said to you, I don't think I'm a sinner. I've always been a good person. Those people are calling God a liar, John says. If we say that we've never sinned, we make Him a liar. So, half of chapter 1 addresses sin in the context of the gospel and assurance. Now, do you remember the reasons why John wrote this epistle in the first place? He tells us three reasons. In verse 4 of chapter 1, he tells us that he wrote it so that their joy would increase. So first John is here so you will know it and believe it that your joy would increase. That's why it's written. Reason number two, he says in chapter 5, verse 13, for our assurance to increase that we might know. And the third reason is our text in verse 1 of chapter 2. I write these things to you, little children, that you do not sin. So how does John begin here? With loving words for his sheep, he says, my little children. Let me talk about pastors and their flock. John begins with this pastoral love, little children, from his heart. And I'm going to say to you today that you are beloved sheep. You are a dear flock. You are dear spiritual children to your pastors, elders, and your spiritual leaders. Um, They have each of one of you in their hearts, on their minds, and they're carrying you always with them in their thoughts and in their hearts and in their prayers. Each of you is important to them individually. 
And here is their primary desire for each of you. Their goal and their desire for you is your spiritual well-being and your growth in grace. Do you believe that? It's true. It absolutely is. True pastors and true spiritual leaders in any church have in their heart ultimately the goal and the desire and the prayer of their the flock's spiritual well-being and their spiritual health. Because when sin hurts you, it hurts them. Their desire, every day they pastor you more and more, week after week, month after month, year after year, they pastor you more in order that ultimately you're more like Christ and you're sinning less. That's their desire. Because when you sin, you're hurt. And when you sin, they're hurting with you. When sin defeats any of the flock, it grieves the shepherds in their heart. When sin burdens us, it burdens them for us. When sin breaks in upon you and you're broken temporarily, it breaks pastors' hearts. And their love is especially toward the sheep at that point. So their entire ministry among you boils down to this goal. You're loving Christ and you're sinning less. That's just wonderful. And if you love Christ more and you're becoming more like Him, you are putting off sin. Don't you sin less than when you first came to Christ? You're growing. Growing in grace. Mind getting renewed. Your heart is enlarged. You're, you're loving the Scriptures. And when the Scriptures are preached to you and taught to you and you read it, you're being transformed in the image of Christ by the Holy Spirit. You already have a righteous heart in Christ, but the righteousness gets worked out in word and deed in action and in choices. Now, the goal of that in your continued journey that we might not sin is for your faith to grow, for your love to increase, for your hope to increase, for your godliness and love for Christ to increase, and progressively that sin would cease more and more. So that's why John here says, my little children, I write these things that you don't sin. We can't twist this or change it. He means what He says. And again, He's not speaking about sinless perfection. So, I want you to see as we get into this text, these these phrases, these unique phrases that are here in, in 1 John 1 and 2. He says, so that you may not sin. And then he says, if anyone does sin. And then he says, we have an advocate. And then he gives this phrase that is nowhere else in the New Testament. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That's only used here. And then he uses this big word that's used five times in the New Testament, propitiation, which simply means Jesus on the cross took all of God's wrath and punishment and judgment toward us that was ours. He bore the wrath and the, and the judgment and the penalty. He's our propitiation. 
And then John says in verse 2, you know, he did this not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. So we'll, we'll look at that because that's often understood. Unique words, unique terms. What do they mean? The words in verses 1 and 2 are true words with accurate meaning and special wonderful application. So let's follow John here. He begins with the purpose of his writing. And I've already stated it, so that you may not sin. So point number one, the believer's potential sin. We do sin, but John doesn't start out that way. He says, Beloved, I write to you that you don't sin, that you don't sin, but if any, anyone does sin. So here's the Christian walking Monday morning through Sunday night, weekend, week out, at work, school, socializing, baseball games in the summer. Have you ever seen parents sin really bad at a baseball game when there's five-year-olds playing? Doesn't know whether to go to third or first, but the parents angry at the coaches and at the, um, you know, Christians at times do sin. And John says, if anyone sins. So here's this issue of potential sin. He's not talking about habitual, willful lifestyle of sin. No. That's the lost man. That's the unbeliever out in the world. Habitually, continually practicing a sinful lifestyle. The believer doesn't do that. If anyone willfully lives a perpetual, habitual, continual, willful lifestyle of sin, and they get by with it, they're not a believer, the New Testament says. Here, this is the true Christian. Little children, I'm writing to you, that you do not sin. So, let's, let's hear this this morning. God's purpose and revealed will for His children is that we do not sin. That's His standard. Every sin is the transgression of God's law, is it not? Every sin is rebellion against available grace to resist that sin. Sin's choice is unbelief because Christ died for all our sin. Yet we sin against the Savior who defeated and conquered sin for us. Now, here's a question. If He died for all our sin, why would we choose to sin against our Savior? Why do you sin when you sin? Because in the moment, we're tempted. And in the moment, we're deceived into believing that that will bring us pleasure. We become momentary, practical atheists. We forget the Lord. The sin looks attractive. We're lured. We're drawn away through lust. And we think it's attractive. We think it'll bring some satisfaction. It's not like we see a rattlesnake and it's like, oh, I'm going to go grab that. That'll be nice. No. We don't see sin like we would see a rattlesnake. When we should see sin, like we would see a rattlesnake. The believer 
gives in to sin. Any sin is a departure in the moment from Christ. Sin is sin toward Him. And John here says, God's will for us is that we do not sin. We don't have to give in to temptation. We have the Holy Spirit. We have a renewed mind. We have power within us. We have the promises of God. Any temptation we ever face, however little, tempted to explode at your children when they've obeyed you for the seventh time in the last 15 minutes. Temptation to explode in anger. Temptation to lust and keep lusting. You name it. Every temptation to sin, none of them we have to give in to. And we can't say like Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. No. Some of you don't know who Flip Wilson are. Those of you who are old enough, you know who Flip was. We can't blame it on the devil. It's me. I chose to give in. And I didn't have to, but I did. God's will for us is that we do not sin. His ultimate purpose is to remove sin completely from our lives. Now we know when that will be finally done is when. In the glory. When we're there, we can sin no more. That's a hallelujah. We'll stop sinning when we die. But we are to put off sin more and more. We don't have to be defeated by sin. We can walk as an overcomer by the Spirit, mortifying the deeds of the flesh, and we can resist sin more and more the way our Savior did. The true Christian doesn't want to sin. The true Christian seeks to resist and put off sin. The true Christian hates any sin he ever commits in his heart. And he does repent and confess it and walk in the light. The true Christian loves righteousness and longs to be more like Christ. So, point number one, we're not to sin. If we excuse it and don't take this seriously, we try to change what John says, we will not view sin seriously and we will not overcome it. Point number two, if anyone sins, the second phrase in verse 1, we're not to sin, but at times the Christian sins. That's why John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We do sin. Not as a willful lifestyle of habitual sin all the time, but we give in to sin. So, here's the, the message this morning. What does God say to the Christian in the moment we sin? What's the answer? What's His reply? Is He angry? Is there wrath renewed toward us? Does He withdraw from us? You blew it. I'm so disappointed in you. Go clean up your act and then come back. What is God's attitude toward us? What is Christ's heart and Christ's feeling when we sin? It's verse 1. If any man sins, this is the only place this is in the New Testament. If anyone sins, what's the next phrase? Look at it. We have an advocate. When you and I sin, 
God's answer in the moment to us is, you have an advocate, my child, right now. It's not, look how bad you are, how you've blown it again. It's none of that. God's reply in the moment when I sin is, you, you have an advocate. My child, you right now have an advocate in heaven who represents you. That sin isn't charged to your account, so come on. Let me wash you, embrace you, love you, and, and assure you that you're mine. How can He do that? Because the sin was dealt with, was it not? Isn't that the meaning of the cross? He put forever sin to death, one time forever, as He hung on that cross. Sins defeated every sin, all of them, all the condemnation of every sin, all the guilt of every sin that you and I will ever, ever commit was dealt with back there. Therefore, when we sin in the present, God says, you have an advocate, Jesus Christ, representing you. That's the only right answer. That's the only right response. That's the only truth that applies when you sin. Our sins which are many, His mercy is more. Mercy and tender loving kindness is the only thing God has for us in the moment that we sin. Now, we've got to believe this or we will not have assurance. If I sin, what do I do? When I sin, what am I to believe? You know what our heart and our pride tells us in the moment we sin? You know, I'm such an idiot. God disappointed. I need to grovel as low as I can now for about a month. I need to beat myself up over this. Maybe maybe God wants me to become perfectly humble, perfectly repent. I'm on probation until I do better. Any of you ever think, feel things like that when you really blow it? We do. Our heart is a factory of resistance against God's immediate reception of us. We produce it all. You know, I just need to feel bad for about a week and come back. i got to clean myself up better. And if I get serious enough, sincere enough, holy enough, work harder enough, read my Bible more, read three books on sanctification, then God might take me back. You may not say those exact things, but often do we act that way? We, we retreat. We withdraw. We think God's attitude toward us is negative, judgmental, rejecting, cooled off. All of that is a lie. This says when we sin, right then we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That's the immediate answer. If and when we sin, God doesn't even turn our attention on our sin. Now when we sin, we have the Spirit, we have a conscience. We know if we love Christ when we've sinned. We know it. But God isn't turning the focus on our sin right then. He's turning our focus on the Advocate. 
because we've sinned. And we say, Lord, I feel so guilty. And Christ, as our advocate right then, is saying, but I bore your guilt. I bore your shame. Lord, I sinned so bad. But remember, I took your sins and your sorrows. I made them my very own. I bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. I'm your advocate. The answer, the help, the victory over that sin is the gospel, not something you can try to do in the moment. Do we really believe this? What I'm talking about this morning is what will strengthen you in grace to overcome besetting sins. And we all have them. The sins that so easily try to rob us. Is it bitterness? Is it withholding forgiveness someone we've never been willing to forgive? Is it anger? Is it deep pride? Our pride is just an enemy always robbing us. Is it our temper? Is it, is it lust that disgrips us? These besetting sins. The answer, the victory over that sin is the gospel. Not something in us to do better. We have Jesus Christ, the Advocate, the Righteous One. So, our temptation when we sin is to self-atone. Um, when Christ says, they've been atoned. I've paid them. Believe your advocate. Flee to your advocate. So John's answer to the question, if anyone sins, is this, the atonement. We don't look inward. We don't look downward. We look upward. When we, In the moment we sin, we feel the guilt. We must apply the Gospel right there. He died for this sin I just committed. It's paid for. It's forgiven. And He's, he's my loving advocate right now. And I must run into His loving arms. That is a battle of faith. And if you condemn yourself in the moment you sin, you've got to believe the Gospel. And man's efforts, we want to feel better about ourselves before we believe the truth and work that way. This is gospel advice. It's John's pastoral comfort and counsel at the highest level. If anyone sins, they have an advocate. Well, let me hurry on. John here is bringing sin and Christ together in the same thought. Think about this. Sin as the disease and Christ as the physician. If anyone sins, we have an advocate. He brings sin, our sin and Christ together. Sin as the wound and Christ as the healer. God never rubs our face in our sin. He turns our sinful heart to behold Christ who is the one who's forgiven us. Our sins which are many, His mercy in that moment is more. Do we believe this truly? It's easy to sing it in church. But do we believe it down in here? On Wednesday night? On Friday night? 
when we've given in that Jesus Christ is the righteous one. So, let me hurry to make three gospel statements out of this, these terms that the Holy Spirit's given us here when we sin. The first is advocate. The second is the phrase, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And the word propitiation. Just see this, brethren. When we sin, the only thing God sets before us is advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and propitiation. That's the gospel. That's the heart of the matter. Nothing else, nothing added. So Jesus Christ, the righteous one, what's John talking about here? He's talking about the human being, the man Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, who never sinned as a human being. He was just like us, but He never sinned. He's the righteous one. John is pointing us to the one who is now our advocate, who died for us, who never sinned. He's perfectly righteous. He obeyed the Father. He lived a perfectly righteous life. And He was truly obedient to the Father. And He died in our place as the righteous one. Why? So He could give us freely what? His full actual righteousness to be put upon us when we believe the Gospel. God clothed you. He put upon you full actual Real righteousness as a Christian. And that's your standing before God. Justification, right? So, Jesus is, John says, your advocate. Now this word is the word, remember the word paraclete? Who is that used about in John's Gospel? Holy Spirit, right? Several times the Holy Spirit is called our paraclete. But here, it's the only place in the New Testament where it's used about Christ. The Holy Spirit is our comforter and supporter within. He's with us and in us. But Christ at the Father's right hand, when we sin, is our comforter and our encourager. He's called the advocate here. Did you ever know that? When you sin, do you see Him as your judge? Or do you see Him as your comforting advocate pleading for you right when you sin. That's the gospel. That's the way to believe the gospel when you sin. Here He is anytime we sin as the loving, comforting one. Now let me just ask again. When you sin and it's bothering you, do you see Christ as your loving advocate right then, who only has forgiveness and mercy for you when you sin. That's where we got to get to. Otherwise, we'll be defeated by sin. And it'll rob us of assurance, of joy, of confidence, and of fruitfulness in serving Christ. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, this isn't a claim for a wicked person who lives in sin to say, oh, I met Jesus one time in a meeting. Yeah, He's got my back. Yeah, I'm going to be okay in heaven. No. That person, their condemnation is just. Let not the wicked claim the gospel when they're living a wicked life.
unrepentant life. Now this is children's bread here. Only for the children of God. His defense of us. If there are no accusations brought against Christ, then there can never be any accusations brought against us about sin. By us or by the enemy. And this applies every single time for any time a Christian sins. The only answer God has, the only thing we're to believe is, Christ is my advocate. But John, we, we might say, how can that be true always every time when we sin? Verse 2 answers that question. How can He always be an advocate immediately? Because He's the propitiation for our sins. Now, advocate is present tense reality language whenever we sin. Propitiation is in history. How can He be advocate now when we sin? Because He was one time on the cross our propitiation, right? He dealt with sin fully. He bore the wrath of God toward your sin. He bore the guilt that was yours. He died and took your shame and all the guilt and all the condemnation forever. It was poured out upon Him for six hours and it was satisfied forever. And Christ really meant it when He said there, it's finished. Your sin was finished. It has no claim on you anymore. Because He bled and died and was counted the sinful one for you. He didn't provide payment by something separate from Himself. He is the payment. Christ, your substitute, our advocate, Redeemer. He died. He's risen. He ascended. He's enthroned. He's reigning. And one day, what? He's returning. The blessed hope. That's why John said in Revelation 1, unto Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. Now let me close. I want to really apply this to us. I want you to apply this to yourself today. Consider your own life. You know some of your sin tendencies. You know what discourages you, defeats you, robs you. You know when you blow it. You know what your idiosyncrasies of fallenness still carry over. You know yourself, if you're honest with yourself. Consider your life, personal and private. Consider yourself as a man, as a woman, as a young man, as a, as a young girl, as a father, as a mother, as a son, as a daughter. Consider your life's sins at times. As a Christian, don't our sins feel more sinful once we come to know the Lord? When we were just sinners, we didn't care. We loved our sin. But don't your sins feel more sinful as a believer? They should. When you sin, how do you feel in the moment and what do you think? You've got to know this about yourself. 
Because when you sin, what you're thinking right then is going to determine if you apply the gospel or you try to self-atone and improve yourself. When you sin, what is your thought process right then? And when you sin, right then, what is Jesus feeling about you and what is He thinking about you? Well, I don't know. How can I know? 1 John 2, 1 and 2. That's what He's thinking. That's what He's feeling. When you sin, what is Jesus' attitude about you in that darkest pocket of your life that only you know about? The anger. The dark things that you're ashamed of. The hurtful treatment of family members sometimes only seen at home. What is Jesus' attitude toward us when the moment we, when we sin? Who is He really in that moment? Not just when we repent and conquer it, but what's Jesus really like in the moment when you do it? He's not accusing you or condemning you. In that moment, He's rising to your defense as advocate. He's actively loving you and longing with welcoming arms for you to run to Him. Because there's only mercy there when we've sinned. There's only forgiveness. There's only grace. There's only cleansing when we sin. So why would we hold back? Think about it. Why would we? He's welcoming you to His forgiving heart when you sin. Like a father or mom whose child has blown it. And they know they've messed up, but they're feeling it and they're afraid of you. But they need you, they want you. How do you feel as a dad or mom toward them in that moment? You know they blew it. They know that you know they blew it. And they're withholding They're not coming. What do you feel in that moment? You feel a welcoming heart if you're in your right mind and if you have love in your heart as a parent. You welcome them in their wrong to extend forgiveness and assurance. If you would do that, why would Jesus do less? He does more. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. If we only viewed the Lord Jesus more clearly about this, if we only believe what Scripture says of Him, friend of sinners, not an enemy of sinners, friend of sinners, why did sinners, prostitutes, and thieves find it easy to be around Him? Because he had a welcoming heart. Do you believe the loving, gentle, tender, patient, welcoming, unconditional, loving heart that Jesus has toward you right when you sin? Do you believe that? Answer it this morning. Say, no, I really don't. Or yes, I really do.
And if it's no, I really don't get there by believing what our text actually says. Remember John Bunyan, the name John Bunyan, he famous for writing The Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan in one of his books describes how we resist and make excuses to not trust Him. So here's the, here's the, the uh, discussion Bunyan uh, imagines. Us before the Lord. No, I've, I've really messed up in really bad ways. And he responds, I know. Yeah, I know you know, but there's stuff in me and about me no one knows. I know it all. Well, it's not just my past, it's bad stuff right now. I understand fully. I'm just so defeated and I don't know if I can stop. That's the only kind of person I came to help. The guilt and regret and sorrow is so heavy. Then let me carry it. I'll take it. It's too much to bear. It's too hard. Not for me. But this is sin not just toward others. This is sin against you. Then I'm the one who can best forgive it. But the more ugly sin you see in me, you'll get tired of me and not want me. Never. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. All I've got for you is rest. The one who comes to me, I will never reject. You see, He is not like us. And when our heart condemns us, He is greater than our hearts. And as our advocate in heaven, anytime we sin, the Lord Jesus says, case closed. No condemnation. Come, let me love on you. That's His heart. The welcoming, loving, tender, patient, understanding, gentle advocate we have. When we Sin. He doesn't get angry. Oh, sin is taken. Sin serious. He died for it. But He dealt with it. It's over. And when we sin, He doesn't get angry. He's not regretful. He's not frustrated or withdrawn or alienated from us or impatient or fed up or have any bad feelings toward us. He feels nothing except longing reception when we will come to Him to give fresh forgiveness. Now, if you're a believer who's trying to fight sin and it grieves you and you're struggling against a besetting sin, this is good news today that's the best news ever. When you sin, you have a present, loving, welcoming Advocate, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. Your plea before Him is the Gospel. I have an Advocate. You're my sin offering. You're my faithful and merciful High Priest. That is how you conquer 
sin in the Christian life. I encourage you to memorize and meditate in and pray 1 John 2, 1 and 2. Because it's true. And it's the most practical help 24-7, seven days a week to face our sins. Our sins, which are many, His mercy is more. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this clear and really brief statement in 1 John in these two verses about when a Christian sins. Apply this to us today. Really put it deep in our spirits. Let the Gospel come alive and be real in its application to us at this point. If God be for us, who can be against us? Not Christ. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Sin has been dealt with and defeated forever. And You're causing us more and more to conquer it. Help us, equip us to conquer it with the application of the Gospel as John states it here in this text. Thank You, O Savior, for bearing our sin. Thank You for the forgiveness of sin. Thank You for the medicine that helps us conquer it. And that one day the sure promise, the certain hope that we will be without sin and we will be with You and like You forever. Blessed be Your name, Father, today. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.